Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. From time to time, I like to go back and uh, brush off an old sermon and bring it back into the pulpit. And uh, that's what I'm doing today. We're going to go back to a section of Colossians. And uh, it's not the first time I've brought back this text. The reason I do this is because... Uh, what, because I think that sermon is timely at uh, different times in the life of our body, and so I'll come back to it in that text. And uh, coming out of last week, I think this fits with what I preached on last week, which was contentment, um, having contentment because God is the sovereign one, and what circumstances come into our lives is by His his good hand, and he gives us those good things, and, and this sort of builds on that. And so, uh, I wanted to explain that before we turn to the text. And so, let's turn to, let's stand and turn to Colossians chapter 4, verses, uh, I'll read 4, 1 to 4. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have been imprisoned that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to your glory. I pray that our minds would be renewed. I pray that we would believe what is written in your word, that we would not waver and be pushed about by every wind of doctrine but that we'd be fixed upon the eternal word of Jesus Christ. So, Father, illumine our minds, work in our hearts, strengthen us by your word preached, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. So, just a little background. You'll notice that Paul is in prison. There are other epistles that he wrote from prison. And, you know, I could have used as my text for this sermon, I could have used Philippians 1, where Paul says this, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. And you're like, okay, what are those circumstances? And then he goes on to speak about being imprisoned, right? So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So there he is saying, you know, praise God for the circumstances he's put me in. I'm in prison, and that's led to the advancement of the gospel. Or we could go to 2 Timothy 
chapter 2 where, again, the Apostle Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself, right? So there again is the Apostle Paul in prison, saying that my imprisonment is working out for the good of those that God has chosen in him. And so back to that Colossians passage. The, the text from Colossians is near, it's obviously near the end of that letter uh, to the church in Colossae. In the letter up to that point, the apostle has exhorted the Colossians not to go after false teachers, right? That's the content of most of Paul's letters. Don't go after false teachers. But what the false teachers wanted to do in the church in Colossae was, look, you can have Jesus, just add to it philosophy, add to it asceticism, add to it the worship of angels, right? Put both of these things together and, you, and you're good. And uh, so they wanted to add to faith in Christ the teachings of men. Now, Paul has been speaking of Jesus Christ and his glories and what faith in him looks like. Jesus alone is all that is needed, not Jesus plus something else. Okay? Not Jesus plus something else. He's been preaching the gospel to the Colossian Christians who are being afflicted by false teachers, false teachers are present, you know, in every generation. And they have been and continue to be one of the favorite tools of Satan even today. Okay, false teachers within the church. What you may have forgotten is this. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter, as with other letters to the Colossians, from prison. He's in prison. He does not have his freedom. Opponents of the gospel, right, were free to roam about. All these false teachers out there free to roam about and afflict the church while the apostle Paul, the one God called to spread his word among the Gentiles, is imprisoned, stuck in a jail cell. Was the apostle Paul questioning God's will? Of course he was. Who wouldn't in that circumstance, right? If he were like me, and he's a man just like me, he'd be asking questions like this. If God wants me to be the apostle, which means the sent ones, to the Gentiles, why am I stuck here in prison? What is going on? This doesn't seem like he's allowing me to do what he has called me to do. Isn't that how we often react to what we consider to be those difficult providences of God in our lives? The hardships, the afflictions, 
that come along. If God wanted me to be this or, uh, or that, why has he led me to where I am today? If God wanted me to be a godly mother, why did he give me such a terrible example in my own mother? If God wanted me to, to provide for my family, why did he give me a crippling disease? You know, if, if, if God wanted me to do this or that, why did he cause things to be lined out the way he has? Now, that, that goes through our minds all the time, right? How many situations in every day where do we can contemplate those questions? If God has put me here, why this? If any of us were imprisoned, right, especially if we had a call from God to be an evangelist like the Apostle Paul, we would contemplate closing up shop. We would likely hunker down and see the new circumstances as the very end of our work, okay? God has disallowed this thing that once he commanded. Which is to say that we take affliction from God to be a hindrance to our calling. Affliction from God to be a hindrance to our godliness. That's how we view it. We take affliction from God or hardship from God to be an excuse for laying aside our calling to glorify Him. And we take affliction from God and turn it into an excuse for our self-pitying resignation from faithfulness and good works. Perhaps we even at times get to the point where... We curse the day we were born. Like the suffering Job, why did I not die at birth? He says. Like this, you know, um, and come forth from the womb and expire. And he said, Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? You know, he's, he's in despair. He is suffering hardship. He is afflicted, right? And he's like, why didn't I just die? We've not suffered like Job did. You know, you remember Job, he lost all of his wealth. He lost all of his family. He lost the encouragement of his beloved wife. He lost his own body, his health, right? And but we do face the same temptation he did to resign ourselves to usefulness in this life when hardship comes. That's when, that's when we resign ourselves to usefulness. And, and our culture teaches us that when hardship comes, we got to play the victim and we got to mope. Right? And we got to make sure people know about our affliction and... And we, we have to resign ourselves to it, right, and stagnate. This is our temptation, and it's not helped by a world that has no grid for suffering, that has no theology of suffering, right? Does the Christian... Does, the, does Christian theology have a grid for suffering? Does it have a theology of suffering? Does the Scripture teach a theology of suffering? I mean, if the Scripture teaches anything, it's a theology of suffering, 
I mean, Jesus prophesied as the what servant? The suffering servant. Right? And so, a culture that has no theology of suffering, that sees no good in suffering, that persistently teaches us to play the victim, that tries to, um, that encourages us to run from any inkling of suffering in this life, it encourages us to consider all suffering to be evil. And to not be what is deserved, what you and I deserve, and is not and cannot be fruitful in any way or suffering. The Apostle Paul was called to be the Apostle to the Gentiles, and here he is imprisoned. We're not imprisoned for our faith and witness, but there are more ways to be imprisoned than to be imprisoned with in, you know, the walls of a prison, cinder block walls and iron bars of a prison. Um, Our personalities or our heritage can be a prison, right? God has afflicted you with with an anxious personality, right? And it's hard. It's hard for you to do the most, to the easiest of tasks at times. Persecutions can be a prison. Obviously, right? If there, is, if there is intense persecution coming against you, if there's even not intense persecution coming against you, it can feel like a prison. It can feel like that is all there is in your life, and there's no way to make any good out of this. Um, our limited opportunities can be a prison, you know? Um, it seems others have all kinds of opportunity. It seems that I don't, and um, that, that causes me to suffer. Just seem to have limited opportunities. However that came about, whether through my own foolishness or simply through God's pure providence. Our poverty can be a prison. Being poor, not having money, not having the resources that other people have. That becomes a prison. Uh, losses can become a prison. Losses of friendships, losses of, of income, um, losses of of, of, you know, wealth, losses can lock us up. Our diseases certainly can be a present, right? Suffering of the body, the new aches and pains that you didn't have last week, that you have this week, that only get more intense, those migraines that you seem to have five days every week becomes a prison. Our singleness can be a prison, right? God has not provided us with a spouse, and so it's, it's suffering, it's affliction, it's hardship, right? And that can become a prison. And so we allow all of these prisons to become our excuse. An excuse, right, because we're dealing with such heavy hardship that, that there's no way we can be zealous. There's no way that we can... Um, have our commitment loosed. Uh, for example, we don't witness to our neighbors because, you know, we're locked up in the prison of our shy personalities. And so we just, we, we don't witness and that becomes the excuse, right? Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I, I just can't do that. And so there's no confidence in the Lord to speak of him. 
Uh, we don't feel good, so we remove ourselves from the ministries of the church, and we sit in the prison of our decaying bodies, wondering if people care, right? Withdraw ourselves. And being in that prison, we miss our opportunity then to bear fruitfulness in the midst of affliction. We miss our opportunity to demonstrate our zeal, our faith, our commitment to worship God, however difficult it is to walk into the sanctuary or however nauseous you feel from morning sickness. You are imprisoned and you can't be expected to have a witness, right? You are a mother with young children. You're imprisoned in the constant demands of motherhood. And so you can't be expected to serve outside of that immediate sphere. You're in prison. You're imprisoned by all kinds of debts. You can't, you can't be expected to tithe faithfully to the church. That, that's illogical. And so it doesn't take us long for us to, to share with others just exactly how we are imprisoned. We want people to know and sympathize with our bondage and to give them an excuse for not being upset at our weakness of faith, our lack of zeal, and our absence of fruitfulness. Right? Not, not so the Apostle Paul. Not so the Apostle Paul. Paul is literally imprisoned, okay? And he speaks of it turning out for the betterment of the gospel, right? He's just like, yes, in jail. Watch what happens. You can't keep the word of God imprisoned. Watch what happens, you know? He's unable to move about freely, yet plowing ahead as if he were free. He asks the, the Colossian church to pray for him and his, his, his companions and notice specifically how he prays. Notice how he prays. That God will open up to us a door for the word. Interesting way to put it when one is sitting behind a prison door. But he is not praying that God would do what? He's not praying that God would change his circumstances. Think about that. He's not praying that God would change his physical location, his circumstances. He does not ask that God will open the door of the prison that I might be free to preach the word. He is content with his circumstances. Okay, so there's my message on contentment. He accepts the circumstances as have coming from God. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Right? I can be content even when in prison. He's imprisoned and yet has not lost his calling, has not lost his zeal to be fruitful. Okay, he is a mother with small kids and yet gives herself to serve even more, right? He's a sick man, perhaps literally with that thorn in his flesh, 
and does not remove himself from his daily labor. Right? God has placed him in that prison and, and has not, by that placement, revoked his calling to be the apostle to the Gentiles. He still has that same calling. So often, dear brothers and sisters, we're, we are focused on complaining about our prisons, aren't we? Which we often attempt to cover over in piety by shaping them in the form of prayer requests. Oh, pray that God would, you know, change this circumstance and God would change this circumstance because honestly, I'm discontent with all of those things. You know, we often, you know, we, we ought to be praying that God would allow us to carry on with our calling to be salt and light no matter our circumstances. We just pray too much about our circumstances. I mean, that's weird to say. We always pray that God would change our circumstances, but, but, but perhaps, again, we ought to pray that God would provide the godliness we need to remain faithful and fruitful in the midst of the circumstance he has put us in by his gracious, sovereign providence. God knows about the prisons he has put you in. The aches and pains, the malfunctioning this or that, the personality quirks, the financial difficulties, the ongoing consequences of the sins that you committed in your youth, the loneliness. And he still says, glorify me. Glorify me. He commands you to get on with your life, with your work, and with your witness. And here's the main point. Here's the main point. I hope this sticks with you. He gives you affliction in order to authenticate and confirm your witness. That's why you suffer. He teaches us that it is by persevering through these trials by faith that honor will best come to his name. No one avoids affliction, right? All of us have been afflicted in one manner or another. No one avoids it. So we all have opportunity, therefore, to witness from our prison. We all have it. Now think of this. The Christ suffered. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, suffered. Think of it. And his suffering has brought more honor to God than anything ever has or will bring to him. His suffering honored his father, right? And then 1 Peter says, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, and then what does it say? So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for no, no one's saying it. The will of God. The will of God. No longer for the lusts of the flesh, but for the will of God. 
So often we complain about our prisons rather than accepting them as the very context in which God will most be glorified. Our afflictions are the fertile soil God plants us in in order to demonstrate our hope. We pray about our prisons, heal this, fix that, lift this burden, make my kidneys work, right? Make, make me more winsome. Uh, make me prosper, then, Lord, I will be useful to you. Christians should not think that way. Our lives will not make any sense to the worldling because the more God pounds us down, the more we thank Him for not forsaking us. Right? The more he disciplines us, the more we honor him, the more his hammer blows come, the more we talk of his, the glorious compassion he has to us in Jesus Christ. When Jesus converted the Apostle Paul, or when the Holy Spirit converted the Apostle Paul in the presence of Jesus, Ananias was given the task then of healing the Apostle Paul's blind eyes. Ananias is worried because he knows Saul. So God gives him this explanation. God gives to Ananias, who's called to go you know, minister to the Apostle Paul, who had just been breathing threats and killing Christians. God says, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. A chosen instrument of mine. In other words, I'm going to use him as a tool to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. It doesn't say how much he must preach, how much he must teach, how much he must build his ministry, how much he must fly from this to that conference to speak at and get paid for. He says how much he must suffer. Now, when the Apostle Paul did as we do, when affliction came, he prayed that the imprisonment, the affliction, the circumstances would be taken away. Right? He prayed about that affliction in his flesh. And it says he prayed three times even. that The Lord would take that away, change the circumstances. And God says a resounding, no, not going to do it. I have a purpose in that affliction. I have a purpose in that hardship. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, this is Paul, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. To keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. God, though, taught him that he had given him those afflictions and he should 
cease to pray that they be gone. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, this is what Paul says, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with, and now comes the list of hardships. I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that's what the world doesn't understand. That's what the world should observe the Christian church and the Christians as being, but so seldom they see that. You know, what power when someone preaches even though in prison? What power when someone sings joyous praises even though depressed? What power when someone serves even after having served all day? What power when someone opens themselves up and expresses their soul even though they're shy and they just want to die when they talk about themselves? What power when someone's marriage is hardship and yet the husband then shows sweet, gracious tenderness toward his wife. Treats her as Christ treats the church. What power when when someone gives generously though they have nothing to give. Like the woman who gave her two copper coins, all she had to live on. She was undoubtedly imprisoned in her poverty. And that was the fertile soil that gave meaning to her giving, that gave meaning to her faith in giving, right? Her poverty was the strength of her witness, right? You see, your witness is not on hold until difficulties are erased. Your witness does not even begin until difficulties come from God. That's when they come. That is precisely why God puts you in those prisons, so that you might give him glory. The Christian sings in the midst of bloody battle, right? The Christian considers it a great joy when he realizes his time on the earth is short. The Christian delights to serve when dog-tired. The Christian is satisfied with giving the last two pennies to be then forced to rely upon God. And so in the midst of persecution, the Christian remembers and shares in the joy of the apostles who rejoice that they were considered worthy to suffer for his name. The Christian knows that God intends to be glorified by his people and the way he does so is by gilding their lives with affliction. That's what he does. Suffering. So my question for you is this. What do you need to stop praying for? What do you need to start praying for? What afflictions, what circumstances, are you always praying about your circumstances? God, change my circumstances. 
I will give you my contentment as soon as you change things. But rather, shouldn't you be praying, God, you have put me right where I'm supposed to be. I will honor you. I desire to to serve you. I desire to glorify your name. And so, Lord, help me to do that in the midst of these circumstances. Why are you praying to be out of your prison when God has put you there? And he's put you there for a purpose. He's put you there that you might be his witness. Here again was the apostle Paul's view of his, of his imprisonment. Roman, or, uh, 2 Timothy 2, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And that's it. That's it right there. God has given, God has put you in the prison of your suffering so that you might have a witness. That's it. Right? Are you making the most of it? Are you making the most of your location in that prison? Or are you discontent? Or are you pleading with him that he would... He would change your circumstances and you're you're bargaining with him. You're telling him there is no contentment unless you change this, right? Are you considering it a privilege? Or are you praying for God to take away the thing that just might prove to be the means of saving someone else as they see your faith in the midst of suffering? Calvin says this, Consider the Apostle Paul's amazing ardor of zeal. He is not solicitous as to his own safety. He does not ask that prayers may be poured forth by the church on his behalf, that he may be delivered from danger of death. He's contented with this one thing, that he may, unconquered and undaunted, persevere in a confession of the gospel. Nay more, he fearlessly makes his own life a secondary matter as compared with the glory of Christ and the spread of the gospel. And when was the last time any of us made our lives a secondary matter? I mean, it's hilarious to think about. I think it could even be said that those of us who are not suffering should be jealous of those who are suffering. Those of us who are not suffering have very little opportunity to be a witness of Jesus Christ, to show others that we do not live for prosperity. We do not live for ease in this life, right? We live for prosperity in the next. And so we suffer faithfully. What does earthly prosperity do but attempt to convince you that you don't need God? 
That's what earthly prosperity will do. If your cup overflows in that sense, you will be tempted to forget God. All those who are not suffering have, as far as their witness, is empty words. They just got words. You should believe this. You should believe that. Blah, blah, blah. Right? Those who are suffering have a lived witness. Right? An opportunity to show a mind set on things above rather than the things of the earth. Those who are suffering faithfully have great credibility and integrity. Those who are, who, who are not suffering just have their words. Now take my word for it. There's nothing you can see in my life that makes you think I'm living this way, but just, you know, take my word for it. Should you seek out suffering? Duh. Of course. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. <laughs> right? Like Bonhoeffer in the cost of discipleship, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Come and die. That's what he's saying here, right? Take up your cross. Oh, oh, and, you know, deny yourself. What more suffering do you need than denying yourself? There's no greater level of, of suffering than denying yourself, right? Denying your lusts, denying your self-pity, denying your anger, denying, you know, your, your, your reputation that it matters to you, denying your desires, denying your comfort, denying your ease, all these things. If you have no other suffering, there is at least the suffering of self-denial open to you. You can at least take that one on. Take up that cross. Show others you are fighting against yourself. Show others that yourself is your affliction, your lusts, your desires, and fight. See if God doesn't give you the strength you have wanted when you persevere through your trials, when you use them as opportunities to glorify Him, when you sing when the world tells you to be the victim. Right? See if God doesn't explode your witness when you do exactly what everybody expects you not to do. Forget victimhood, boast in your weakness, forget comfort, let's consider it all joy when we encounter various trials. Forget being shocked and depressed at bad news. Let's not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that among us which comes upon us for our testing. Forget depression to the degree that it, we share with the sufferings of Christ. Let's keep on rejoicing. Forget fixing our happiness upon this world. Let us look at the things that are seen, which are eternal. Sell all you own and give your proceeds to the poor. We just, well, a tiny fraction of us went through Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship, men. Um, 
Now I'm going to make you suffer. No. And he goes through the rich young ruler, you know, and what Jesus did for that rich young ruler, you know, he goes through all the commandments, he tells them all the commandments, and the rich young ruler says, yeah, I've kept all those, I'm good. And then Jesus says, well, one further thing you lack, go take all of your possessions, sell them and give the money to the poor, and come follow me. And the, and the young ruler, do, do you realize that Jesus is giving him the circumstance of suffering where he might then follow Jesus, honor him, witness to him, and enjoy eternal life? And this man says, no, 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 I have a lot of property. No, not worth it, not worth it to me. Put your last copper pennies in the offering plate. Tithe when you can't afford to tithe. Right? And you may have to depend on God. Have your friends bust a hole in a roof to uh, lower you on a pallet so you can be in the presence of Jesus. (laughs) Oh, preach the gospel when in prison. Preach the gospel when in prison. That's what the apostle did. He's like, yeah, there's a prison guard around. Guess he's my congregation. Ask yourself how God would have you use your imprisonment for his glory. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all things, all these things... But in all these things, being put to death and being considered as sheep led to the slaughter, in those things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. You mean in being slaughtered, we conquer? Well, it's the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Being put to death yet conquering, suffering yet rejoicing, imprisoned yet through that imprisonment free. So all of you are being given opportunities to glorify God radically, but it is not where you think it is. It is not where you are successful. It is not where you think you are gifted. It is not where you are the expert. It is where you are suffering. As Jesus suffered, enduring the cross for the joy set before him. It's enduring, it's it's suffering with faith. Okay? It's suffering and continually saying, God is good. God has put me here, and he intends for his name to be glorified through it. I think of the example of Kareen Simpkin. Kareen Simpkin, most of you didn't know. Bob Simpkin, you may have. His wife was around for the first couple of years that I was here. And this is what I remember about her. There are a thousand things that you could know about Corrine Simpkin, but the thing I remember about her is the fact that she never, ever missed worship, even though her gut for months was filling up with fluid. She had peritoneal cancer in her gut, and every week, multiple times, she was getting two, three, four liters of fluid taking off of her gut. 
And when that builds up, guess what? You can't breathe. Short little inhalations. She never, ever missed an opportunity to worship God. It's just, it's a glorious witness. It's the witness I remember of her. That was her prison. And she, she faithfully witnessed from her prison. Loved it. The minute Kareem died, she, I, was, I was there within minutes of her death. And her body was just wasted. It is, it, when she died minutes after, it seemed as if she had been dead for a year. Just her body was just... But she, she was faithful. She wanted to worship her Lord with his people. How will you be most Christ-like in this life? By faith in the midst of suffering. It is from your weakness that you will be made strong. It is precisely in the midst of your suffering that your faith expressed will have the most impact. Respond to scoffers who want you to give in to self-pity in your suffering as Job did to his wicked wife. Shall we accept good from God and not accept adversity? Witness from your prison. It is the most potent opportunity that God has given you right now. And then here's God's promise that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ and will be doubly fulfilled when the end of the ages come. Micah 4, 6. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame. And gather the outcasts, even those whom I have afflicted. I will make the lame a remnant and the outcasts a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on and forever. All those afflicted people will be healed and will come together and be a strong nation of the of the the formerly lame but they're not healed until his presence they're healed in his time right and so now while you suffer now in your affliction give him glory suffer faithfully let's pray Oh, our Father, we honor you, we glorify you, we thank you, Father, for reigning over us, for hedging us in, for, Father, even giving to us afflictions. Lord, we ask for faithfulness in the midst of our afflictions. We ask that we would not have in our minds a utopian vision of the way that our lives must go for us to have maximum happiness. But rather that our happiness would be in having a witness to our gracious Savior and having a witness in the most fertile place which is in our afflictions. Forgive us for when we don't accept our circumstances, Father. Forgive us for missing the point. Forgive us for casting a longing eye toward those who don't 
suffer, who aren't afflicted, thinking that somehow that that would be better for us. Lord, we know it's not. I pray that we would follow in, that we would rejoice that we are called to have fellowship in Christ's sufferings. To be Christ-like, not simply in, in glory, but Christ-likeness in that he was acquainted with grief. And yet always went to his Father, even on the cross. We praise to you. So, Father, help us in this, Lord. I pray that we would reorient our minds and we would see affliction as that blessing that comes from you to wean us from the world, to wean us from sin, but also to be a picture of, of uh, a picture calling people to believe in Christ, that we would have joy in the midst of suffering. Father, we pray that you would Help us in this and grow us in this and strengthen us for this task. Make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.